everybody welcome to sonic talk number 277 um it sort of feels like 1977 for some reason i don't know why 277 seems like a good summer number uh i want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us uh, we are in fact in this kind of zone where we're waiting hopefully um dave spears who uh, works with the chaps at underworld from time to time has uh tried to get Darren Price onto the show, who was one of the team, obviously one of the underworld, who put together the Olympic ceremony, um, opening music from a music and technology point of view. We're just waiting for him to get in touch with us. But in the meantime, we've got a couple of other topics that we can talk about. So I'm really hoping he can join us. So we're going to start with um, the Behringer X32. If you press the button, please, uh, Maestro. The X-32, philosophically, is kind of the distillation of our strategy since we founded this company 23 years ago. This is taking everything we've learned about manufacturing, about engineering, about product design, and all of the resources that we've accumulated over the years, including intellectual property, including branding. Okay, we'll cut that, please, Tony, and uh, back to me. So... uh, No, that was a bit of a corporate speak kind of scenario, admittedly. Uh, That's the new Behringer X32, which I've actually got for review. And I know that Behringer have come in for a lot of flack over the years of sort of not really kind of coming up with with the goods as far as queue and quality control goes. But this one, um, I've I've had it in for a few days, and I'm absolutely blown away by it. The mic amps are uh, designed by Midas. They're not like Midas from a particular Midas console, but they've worked on that. uh, And there's just an awful lot to it. Um, it's got like 32 channels of IO. It's got, a, I don't know if any of you are into live sound, but it's got DCA groups, which are like VCAs, which means that you don't use, have to use subgroups. You can just bust things to a single fader and it automatically turns them down relatively. It's also got subgroups, it's got 16 groups, which you can use, configure to as groups or aux sends or all sorts of stuff, eight stereo effects. And um, I've just been having a ball with it, I must say. And it's got built in, a 32 IO firewire card or USB card you can switch it either way the uh, you it's i think it's 1616 if it's USB and 3232 up to 3232 if it's firewire that's all out of the box and this thing comes in at something like under it's under 2 grand 2000 quid it's about 2800 dollars 2600 dollars moving faders i i just you got to try one mark you'd love this yeah, you just well. I, I mean, I saw it and I thought, what do I need a mixing desk for? I, would, I don't need that. But now you just said that USB and FireWire, so presumably you could use it as an audio interface for Pro Tools. Then can you? Uh, yeah, you can. So fact. it could be the heart of a recording studio then. Uh, yes, it certainly could. I mean, it would be great for live as well. But I mean, I just all I did was basically I took a load of. Uh, um, audio um, channels for a drum track, basically, that I had going. I fired it up into this whole thing. I got them running, and I, you know, because I, I, it's the same drum tracks as I used to um, set up the uh, uh, the Universal Audio plugin demos that I've done, and it just absolutely rocked. It was oh, re- right. I, I have to say, it's pretty amazing. 
Um, and you've also got gate and dynamics on every channel. You've got um, oh, what else? You know, big touch. You know, not touchscreen, but lots of sort of assignable controls. In fact, there's a bit in the middle which controls the subgroups that um, you can set into MIDI control mode, and that works as Huey or a Mackie emulation. So you get transport control. You get each of the channels has got like his little tiny LCD window three-line window, so you can it gets the names, you can name all the channels, you can make them a specific colour, but when you're in Huey mode, the tracks that you're working on come back, and you can... It's just, it's, it, I have to say, you, you, I think you'd enjoy that, for just for, for the I money. Mean, if, it's only, if it's only a couple of grand, that's actually quite incredible, because when I think about it, we bought one of those, um, the Pro... What the hell was it called? A Pro 24 or something? That was about seven or eight grand, and that probably didn't do... Uh, even as much as what you're saying this can do. So No, I mean, it may well have been had more expensive... Control 24, I Yeah, think. that's right. Yeah. It may have had more... Um, it may have had a little more um, high-quality components, but I've been looking at this, and it's the faders... Uh, that There's the whole thing. If you watch the whole of that video, there's a bunch of faders. You know, they've just got these kind of like those IKEA-type testing machines that are going up and down hundreds of thousands of times. And I think they've actually... they I think what they're using this as, effectively, is a way to kind of say, look, we, we can make good quality stuff as well and at this price it's just a, it's pretty astonishing but it's got a very big channel strip layout which is quite impressive uh, i think if i go to the if you just go to the web tony a second um i've got it here you can uh, you can see that there's uh that th these are the sort of images of it it's got excellent and it, but also the other thing that's really sort of far out is it's got this yeah there we go um it's that's the channel strip up the top left there which you can see is actually quite substantial in terms of space and layout so it's quite easy to use even for somebody of my age and eyesight you know it's actually got quite a lot to offer and um, the thing that i the other thing that's sort of quite amazing it's got aes50 networking out of it so you out of the box you could buy one of these stage boxes which is a 16 in 8 out for about 500 quid and you've got a cat5 stage box with digitally controlled mic pre's as well so two of those and you've got 32 channels of io so you've got a rig i mean if i was 10 years young. if i were 10 years younger i think i might invest in one of these just to take out you know just to start a pa company something about it reminds me of the sony desks as well it has a sort of a oh, the sony Oxford. layout and the look yeah it's yeah i know what you got mean a kind of a similar feel to it hasn't it i know what you mean yeah i i think i know what you mean that's that's got a kind of uh yeah, I mean the Sony Oxford's got a lot, had a lot bigger screens and a much more re screen real. I mean they were massive and hugely expensive. But I, I, I know I'm well. sounding a bit like a fanboy, but I, I mean it's partly because I was so surprised uh, that oh, uh, Wildman in the chat room is asking were those faders available in the door? No, not the sixteen, but the eight, the second eight, the group there are, and you can set them up um, in Mackie Huey mode, and then those buttons that are um, so yeah, the right hand side that eight there. The, the Mackie, that, that sort of becomes the Mackie Huey control section. Then there's also a signable uh, se uh, kind of, um, selection to the right of those with four rotary encoders and uh, eight buttons. You can assign those as well to send out on MIDI. So you've got quite a lot of MIDI control there. Um, but, you know, I, if it's actually starting to look to me like it might even, you know, it's something that I could I could cons considerably consider replacing the Sony D the, the, this Yamaha DM1000. Just because it will do all this other stuff, and if you imagine, you know, I'm running because I'm running XLRs and stuff all up and down. But if I had a stage box over there on the on the live part on the studio part of the of it, it would be pretty uh, impressive. Um, the uh, it's yeah, not all of the faders are available in the for in the studio. 
the 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 input channels do not um, transmit or receive MIDI, but the subgroup DCA channels do. So you've got effectively got eight channels of uh, um, Huey emulation, that kind of thing. So you can be Huey, it could be Mackie control, or it can be just be controllers. Um, but yeah, really impressive. If you get a chance to check one out, um, Dave. I don't suppose you're thinking much along the lines of having large mixing consoles anywhere, are you? So I leave that there, Tony. I'll fix it. <laughs> no room, no room. Uh, but it's pretty impressive, isn't it? It is impressive, and I, you know, I, you can see they've really put a lot into the uh, into this. You know, they're trying very hard. I think to kind of, I think they're trying to relaunch or sort of validate validate the um, the Ber- revalidate the Behringer brand. I don't think that's the kind of idea. I'm surprised it didn't go with the Mac, uh, Midas brand. Well, it's got Midas all over it on the box. You know, it sort of says that it's got preamps divided by my designed by Midas. You know, they are making quite a lot of that. Okay, so, which would indicate there's more to come, probably. Well, I, I don't know if it is. I mean, this has got uh, 32 input channels, and it's got uh, two lots of uh, AS50 cat networking. So you you could buy these stage boxes and split them, and run like um. Uh, one as a monitor board and one as a front of house board for like five grand. You know? That's amazing, isn't Which it? Is, that really is amazing. Tony, can you stop switching a sec? In uh, fact, I, I know that the Unders use a Midas Heritage desk, I think. They, they were overjoyed you, when they managed to get one for, I've got a feeling it was about 9,000 quid, end of line. So yeah, but the thing, about, the, the thing about those is, um, I mean, you, you know, you are talking a different league of uh, component, you know, individual swappable faders and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, that's cool. It's bulletproof. It was completely bulletproof yeah. on the I road. mean, the Midas desks are really, really nice. Um, yeah. uh, let's have a look. Yeah, the, the, it's not an iPhone dock. You were asking if it's an iPhone. It's actually just a sort of little place to put your iPhone or iPod Touch. Stupidly, it's designed purely for that. So my... my um, yeah, there you go. You can see it in the bottom left there. So my actual uh, <laughs> uh, HTC One X doesn't fit in there. It falls out. <laughs> which is actually really annoying. But, you know, I guess I don't really want my phone on the side of my desk, really. You know, I mean, I might want an iPod because there, there will be an app for controlling stuff as well. I'm wandering around. You can't, you can't put your phone on the side of your desk because you'll just get that... Yeah, you will. Yeah, exactly. But very impressive. And what I'm hoping to do is set up a couple of... I'll do a few videos and maybe do the hardware first and then get into it because I, I just there's so much to it and I, every time I sort of sit in there I'm actually finding that I'm enjoying using it and it's one of the things that I've for a long time you know that come in I think actually I really want one of these I can see it would be incredibly useful but uh, so far um, uh, very impressed and uh, that the review will be coming shortly. Is the am I right in saying that it's the the highest bit rate is 48 kilohertz yeah it's only 44 one or 48 it doesn't go up any higher than that and that is you know that might be a killer for some people but that might be a limitation in a studio then um yes i suppose and i guess in some live situations people might uh, might you know but i mean these are the things that we're asking kind of we're asking an awful lot for for that sort of um that sort of stuff Okay, um, but anyway, uh, the other thing that's coming out is uh, the Nectar P4 as well, which is the uh, controller that uh, that was designed uh, for the um, oh work with Reason. And I'm guessing, you know, before they started, they must have had some inkling that Reason Six was going to be coming. So uh, if you can hit video two, Tony, that would be great. This is the Panorama P4. 
Um, really, I saw it at NAMM. I mean, it's a really lovely, lovely made thing. All the components are really high quality. It's got that nice TFT display for sort of taking the uh, um, all of the uh, parameter to and from. It's got a special kind of control protocol. I think we talked about it before, but that's actually now shipping. And uh, I know Tim, um, who's the, the guy who's the product manager there uh, that I spoke to, is very proud of the keybed and, and the kind of quality of the components. It definitely is a kind of uh, high-quality controller device. I know, Dave, you're you're sort of rocking up with uh, Reason 6, presumably, are you? Um, so you, you, you might... Have you come across this at all? Uh, yeah, I've been aware of this for a while. Ah, okay. Uh, this was, uh, Sorry, Echo is coming back. Ah, okay, I'm sorry. Yep, got you. That's right. Uh, I believe this was put together by somebody I've known for quite some time, Niels Larson, who used to be part of Propeller Heads at, at one point, but was kind of Cubase and Steinberg and Propeller Heads. Uh, and pretty much everything he does is really good and i've not seen this in the flesh but i've been really quite excited about it and keeping an eye on it what are we looking at now in cost um it looks like it's gonna be let me see uh necktop p4 it's gonna be 399 uk um probably a street price like that those are the map prices so they're probably a bit less than that they reckon a street price of under 500 bucks which for a controller is quite a lot but there are a re- that there, there has been a sort of slew of more expensive controllers right yeah and i don't th- i mean I, honestly i'm an awful one you know if the component tree is better and robust and down the rigors of a couple of gigs then it's really well worth the money i mean so many controllers now you get wouldn't even last one gig kind of, and, it, and it becomes difficult after a while because you kind of like actually we need something that's robust and we need something that's tool worthy and um, it's good that people are actually finally addressing that I think it went through this stage where everybody every company seemed to be chasing kind of cheaper 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 and uh, it's, so it's good and I've got a lot of uh, high hopes for this actually and I've just got into reason I mean obviously we had to with the retron and stuff but I've kind of really got into it. I think when I first got into Reason like a million years ago, it was, you know, kind of limited. And once you got past that novelty of flipping the tab thing around and seeing all the cables move and stuff like that, it was like, okay, but I need my MIDI editing in particular to be much more detailed. And now I'm kind of blown away with it. And if this yeah, is yeah, because the integration of this is actually quite tight, isn't it? You can get can you get down to the note editing level? I mean, it's you know, and and the yeah, plugins yeah. and what have you. I'm wondering if they had a bit of a nightmare with the uh, re- the rack extensions, or whether they might have been on board with that earlier. I'm guessing they probably were, just because um, there's some sort of insiders, or you know, Nils was a propellerheads guy before. I, I think was he. Oh yes, yeah, and I would hope, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm really interested in checking it out. I mean, and it looks really quite sexy as well. Yeah, they got the look. Tob says in the chat room that the Reason Six workflow is nice. Um, mm. So you know, they've obviously kind of done quite a bit with it. I haven't checked it out yet. I've just have not. Was this had... Tim Chandler? That's right. Yeah. Ah, okay. So I mean, he was obviously big part in all the Axiom stuff. Which yeah. again were good were good keyboards, you know, had a good feel and a good workflow to them, I think. So if they've translated that into into this and taken on all the expertise from the various participants, I think this could be really hot. Yeah. Mark, getting one of these. What controller are you using these days? I have I did have an Axiom keyboard. And um 
I didn't get on very well with it. <laughs> but I'm not using reason, am I? So maybe it's, you know, very cleverly designed to control reason and with logic. It was just a total nightmare. It just wouldn't do anything it thought it was meant to do at all. And then I bought, um, so this is why, actually why I've upgraded to Logic 9, because I bought, um, what's that little cheap DJ controller thing made by Novation? I can't remember what it's uh, called. The remote thing. Remote, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have any keys on it. It's just got some knobs on it and like a kind of a side-to-side -side fader thing on it. So I bought that thinking like, oh, brilliant. Well, whenever I call up a plug-in, it will just control that and then I'll be able to sort of, you know, I don't need to, I'm, you know, like I've been programming things for like 30 years and I just don't want to program anything anymore. I want to like make music now because I enjoy making music and I do enjoy programming as well, don't get me wrong, but I just want to sit with a guitar and plod around and write a few songs and things and then, uh, you know, when it's... Uh, when you spend a whole day like mapping something just so you can turn a few knobs on a synth, that's kind of, you know, you get to the end of that day and you haven't done any music. Yeah, no, well, I know that something feeling. It would work. So I bought the Nocturne, tried using it on Logic 8, and of course it doesn't really work on Logic 8, so I've upgraded to Logic 9, and I have to say that now uh, it is brilliant totally blown away by it because I'll call up a plug-in and it will map all of those different things to relatively usable or useful things and then I can basically sit there and twiddle knobs around and record the um, automation and stuff and sort of I mean it just yeah it makes making sounds easier as well in a way because if you can poke around through a few pages and sometimes just turn things around without quite knowing what they are as well. If you're just flicking through pages and turning knobs and seeing what they do, that can be quite an interesting... Yeah, um, well, it's tactile, isn't it? I mean, I agree. Yeah. I think the thing about um, the, the, thing about the uh, you, you know, using controllers is they're very, very good when you've got all of that creative stuff out of the way and then you need to just get... You know, you need to do some tweaking live and you can set it up and it's repeatable and you don't want to be messing around with mice and stuff. It's perfect for that. But in the in the live environment, it's quite tricky. I did, um, I went up to London yesterday, actually, and worked with um, Jason Bradbury from The Gadget Show. He asked me if I could go up. He spotted us on YouTube and said, oh, can you come up and help me with my studio? And he had an APC40, an Akai APC40. And one of the things that he wanted to do was be able to kind of just just work live and not have to mess up mouse around and all that stuff and I've, i i mean a very limited amount of time i have with him to do that we got that working great and it was really sort of very tactile it's like i'll press that button i'm on a new instrument record yeah let's go and that's another one and you build stuff off really quickly so when it's got that tight integration it oh. works very well but there's a two-edged sword there because you're spending quite a lot of money for some tight integration you think well actually i'd like that to work with something else as well and it's not got the same level of integration with other stuff because it's designed for the Titan, you know, and that's the tr that's the pro tricky part, isn't it? It's the, the the translation of that integration to other platforms that I think everybody expects, but maybe we're asking too much out of a controller because it's got to do everything, and then you know that's going to be pretty difficult without configuring it. I mean, we have we have limited ourselves so much by using computer interface, which is like a mouse with two buttons or one button if you're on a Mac, yeah, or it was one button if you're on a Mac. Um, and, to tr and, you know, to have one knob available at a time via a mouse or if you can remember them, some key commands, is a really limiting way of working. So anything that kind of expands it and, and makes 
the whole process quicker has got to be good, I suppose. And that involves or includes uh, building and setting up presets or programming your the way your stuff interacts and all that sort of stuff, You know, like your MIDI interfaces and stuff. I mean, it's, it's only good, isn't it, if somebody's gone to the trouble of linking things together and making it into a, a workflow that speeds stuff up. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree. I mean, I, well, I'll just talk about some more things to do with that then because I prefer working in Logic because there's so many built-in presets. So if I'm recording vocals, I can just throw up a whole channel strip of, like, you know, a uh, madman sitting in the back yeah. of a taxi and my vocal sound for that's instantaneously there rather than having to sit there and EQ everything bit by bit. So I quite like that. And I quite like the idea that I can just shift, click through different... Um, synth sounds and through different okay we're back um, vocal sounds in. And haven't heard anything from Darren yet so I'm guessing um, this might be a good time for an ad what do you think Dave yeah so this is a word from our sponsor. I want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for the contingent part of the show. What we're looking at here are the the world of applications. There's a whole bunch of them, basically. Um, you should really check them out. If you have an iPad or iOS device, there's a whole different world of them. Uh, the synth arp and drum pad, for instance, great uh, MIDI control, but also with built-in synth voices. I think it's a couple of quid. I mean, next to nothing. And you can get some really quite uh, complex pieces of music going together with it and also use it to control external devices, either over over uh, wireless MIDI or via wired MIDI, however you want. There's also editors for the Motif and um, there's multi-editor essential and voice editor essential, which are two applications for the Motif X, the Mox, the S90X, the S70X, and the XS and the Rack XS, which just give you a, a whole way, another way of controlling. Because I mean, obviously, some of these keyboards have small LCDs or small controls, whereas the iPad has a massive control and it enables you to get your fingers on that multi-touch. Lots of ways of controlling it, delving in without having to um, mess about too much. Also, what you can see here is the set list organizer, which I really like. It allows you to set up a song, and each song can have sections in it, which you press when you press a button, it transmits multiple. Um, program changes, bank changes, so you can sort of set up and fire up all your external MIDI gear uh, in one go, basically, and also include notes and what have you. So, world of apps from Mo from Yamaha, uk.yamaha.com. Please do check it out, and uh, thank you very much for listening. So that was Yamaha as our show sponsor. I'm trying to time it so that it doesn't go around the video again, even though that video is marvellously made. When they showed us that, I was like, wow, how would you do that then? Because it's just such a brilliant bit of animation and all that sort of business. Apparently, it took the it took the the, the team who did it a, a long time to kind of figure out the model of that. But that's not really the point. The point is, thank you Yamaha for continuing sponsor of the show. It really is much appreciated. So uh, there we are. Um, right, what's next then? Um, let me go back to here and uh, 808 tails. Now this is interesting. I will try and get the video going. Uh, and then um, then we can talk about it. Might take a little while to load because I'm... Uh, For the first year of my musical career, everything I did had an AOA drum beat on it. It is the gold standard. It is the gold standard. <laughs> They've done a kind of bit of funky uh, kind of mashup in a Nuna 19 style or Planet Rock kind of style. Gold standard. Todd the God there, I think. Oh, loud. That techno style. Planet Rock was definitely something new. Planet Rock was definitely something new. Planet Rock was definitely something new. Straight up kind of wicked. Planet Rock was definitely something new. 
playing in rock was definitely something new. Awesome. And this actual video is... Uh, Basically, it's been made by somebody called by Arthur Baker, who is the guy who worked with Africa Bambata and uh, did Planet Rock, which was kind of, you know, the kind of seminal electro kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, acid rock. Was it not? Isn't that the kind of the way it was? Because Arthur Baker and somebody called Know How, uh, it's going to be available in 2013. Uh, Norman Cook, you saw there, Arthur Baker wasn't in it uh, Dre, Oakenfeld, Todd Terry, there's a whole bunch, Norman Cook, loads of people in it, you know, big 808 fans. And it just it just seems like what we need a series of these things, right? I mean, you know, we could do, what could we do them on? Dave, I'm sure you've got a short list of, uh, of, uh, of essential. I mean, do you think this is going to be good? It looks like it's going to be great, though, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, um, echo again, please, Nick. Oh, sorry. Yeah, in fact, it's weird... I'd, I mean, I love all of this. I'd like to do a load of these. Uh, do you know, we've had something like 36,000 hits on the 8 Voice uh, YouTube, dem- uh, you know, kind of blah that I did, which kind of made me go, wow. I mean, com- in comparison to everything else, it's like, you know, streets ahead, probably because it's so obscenely rare. But, I mean, I- I'm really looking forward to this. I've got such mixed feelings on the 808. It's so bizarre. I used to go up to London and Rose Morris had a really amazing store on Shaftesbury Avenue at the time. Yeah. And they were the Korg distributor, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, every, there was a couple of kind of drum guys. That, uh, there was this actually quite well-known drummer, a um, bit of a prog drummer that I used to know in the village where I lived. And I would go down to his place on a Saturday and he'd show me all these really complex time signatures and we'd play through stuff. And he kept saying, don't waste your time in England, go to Brazil, learn all these rhythms. It's all going to be brilliant. But then obviously he got into Simmons and all of that kind of stuff. And then the, and the CR. 78 haha there yep. which was uh, a kind of which was used by Genesis at the time and that was all kind of cool but we were all waiting for this 808 to come out because it was going to play different time signatures and it was going to be complex and it was going to be it was going to be digital it was going to have digital samples and all these kind of things and I'll never forget going into Rose Morris just after it had come out and going show me the 808 <laughs> and it was like you're joking, aren't you? What? And you call that a cowbell? That's a appalling <laughs> sound. That's not a clave. It's disgusting. So there was this whole pit, and then the 909 was almost worse. So there was this whole period where it was like, this really isn't working at all. What are Roland on about? And then I think, you know, Marvin Gaye kind of came along with sexual healing, and then it was like, ah, oh, we're using this in a different way, an exciting way. And now it's just a de rigueur piece of kit, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I absolutely adore the 808 sound and in particular the 909. Those two things are so iconic. Which it's just fun. goes to show how wrong, you know, you could be if you kind of look at everything with this kind of muso mind. Well, I mean, it was very much sort of done with the, uh, yeah, the, it's, uh, the computer-controlled drummer, you know, kind of thing. But, I mean, considering what it could actually do in terms of breadth of sound, it is amazing. But what was the, the what was the um, the drum machine that went along with the three hundred three? There was a three hundred three. Oh, the six hundred six. Six hundred six. I used to know a guy who used to just sit in his <clears throat> squat in London and just make, uh, just make them. You know, just make make beats with those all the time. Yeah, you see, I could never get on with the six hundred six and the three hundred three. I really did sell out a car boot sale for stupid money. Yeah, I know. We, but it's we, all we, of those things. I love all of those kind of things. You know, when they kind of come back and bite you on the ass. It's like, 
you know, stop being such a dickhead and use it for make music. Game on. When I, when I had the, uh, I was in a band called the Garden of Eden, and we were heralded as Britain's first acid house band. And we had a 303. We eventually found out what that acid house sound was. And uh, Adam, my brother's manager, kept coming around and saying, oh, I've got a box that makes that noise. And we were like, no, you haven't. Because he never really made a huge amount of sense. And eventually he came around with this 303. And we plugged it in. And, of course, it made exactly that acid kind of squelchy noise. So I spent hours reading the manual, learned how to program the thing, uh, sat there trying to be musical with it, and... Uh, programmed a few almost meaningful kind of things for it. And then the guy I was working with at the time, Daryl Lockhart, decided that he needed the batteries for a portable TV, so he took them out, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I used to go over to Muswell Hill to see him to work with him, and I lived in East London. And I went over one day, and I found this thing with the batteries out in his studio. I was like, what have you done? I spent hours programming that, and I was absolutely livid. Went out, bought new batteries, put them in, switched it on, and it just made the most amazing noise. And then we made a record with this this weird loop that it had done, which was called the Garden of Eden. And that was that was it programmed itself in a way that nothing else has ever done since. There we go. Right, well, I'm very, very excited to welcome uh, Darren Price uh, from Underworld onto the show, who must be, I mean, I'm surprised you're actually still alive, to be honest, given the uh, complexity and the nature of the work that you must have been doing there. Uh, we unfortunately aren't unable to get some video at the moment, but maybe that'll happen later. How are you, Darren? Are you kind of, uh, are you buzzing or are you just kind of spent? Bit of both, really. We're all, all of us are a bit worn out. Yeah. Um, but buzzing at the same time, really. Still been um, delivering files four, three, four, five days after the event to various people, BBC, Locog. So it's not really stopped. We thought it would, it would have stopped at midnight on uh, Friday, but it's kind of not stopped yet. And we have to move various studio pieces of equipment out of the stadium and out of the studio next door to it. Um, but everybody's really happy with the way it went. Oh, it was just, it was astonishing. I mean. You know, I can't imagine the level of anticipation that was going on there. I mean, this is what I wanted to start with. You know, okay, right. So you get the gig, right? And you think, oh, shit, what now? I mean, because I'd imagine this thing, you know, the brainstorming sessions, these kind of the scale and the nature of these ideas are just going to get more. I mean, looking at what was done visually and and what have you, was it a kind of very daunting experience or was it just a kind of felt very natural and and creative? At the beginning, it was all a big question mark anyway, even for Danny Boyle, because he didn't know whether a lot of it would work. Some would work. You know, there was changes all the way through. Lots put on paper. Lots seemed impossible. Lots seemed to be possible. Yeah. But, and it all kind of just worked its way out, really. Everybody kind of just... It, it's, it, it all changed. It changed through the whole process. Even the Even watching them organised, forget about all what happened that night and all of the visual stuff, but just to get that many people to walk in one direction <laughs> and the other bunch to walk in another direction all at the same time and not bump into each other and look tidy, that was a job and a half. I watched that a few times and run-throughs and just because this was pre-stadium, it was in, uh, rehearsals were done in three mills, which is just uh, studios just out, around the corner from the stadium there, but right. also in a massive great big car park in Dagenham which was a mock-up of the, uh, of the stadium in the big Ford car park. And just seeing Danny negotiate 
with his helpers to just move these people in the right places was just like a mission. And I was thinking, is this even going to work? Um, well, yeah, that sounds astonishing. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, what what was the kind of the role of Underworld within this? I mean, how would you kind of describe it in a nutshell? Do you think? Oh, you've got all like a Dalek. I'm Have I? Am I, Can you repeat that question? What, what was what was the role of Underworld and, and particularly your role within this? I mean, what would you? How would you kind of describe it in a in a in a in a you know a bite sized idea? Right, I didn't get that. All I got was how do you describe it in a kind of nutshell? Ah, okay. That's what I yeah, think that, you were saying. In a I guess the Underworld role. Yes. Um, gosh immense experience that brought tears to our eyes when it was done on the final run throughs and in on Friday, you know, a lot of the people working on it were in tears. A lot of the people in the crowd were um, in tears as well. And it was just such an emotional experience for a lot of us. Rick, who's turned more into a manager, manager than a musician, managing the whole of the music side of the ceremony. Forget yeah. about Underworld and the Underworld tracks, the stuff that we did, but just managing everybody. You know, I'm surprised he's still walking because <laughs> he was so busy. Late nights, we had a tour bus at the stadium that we slept on. It was getting to bed at five in the morning, getting up at nine or ten. It was immense. Wow. Uh, but just so emotional to have it all come together on that night on friday night i mean it was really brilliant i don't you know and i'm an old cynic and i was thinking you know because it's just just in terms of pitching the whole idea you know and all of the kind of hype and nonsense surrounding the whole local committee nonsense and you know you 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 think how the hell did they pull that off you know and, and get the kind of clarity of idea through that 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 is astonishing yeah yeah uh, just to get Danny Boyle involved and to do it for hats off to them to even be brave enough to do that because a lot of people wouldn't have done that in their position. No. So I think they were brave enough bringing him in. Um, but, yeah, it was just um, it was just a really fulfilling moment at the weekend, you know, for all of us, everybody involved and the crowd and just hearing people talking, you know. Yeah, I was, fantastic. I was wandering around in the crowd on Friday night and seeing it from different positions and also on Wednesday on the run-through. But Friday we kind of walked around the stadium and stopped in different stands and you could hear people talking and people that, you know, I stood between the, these guys from Ghana and then these other Pakistani guys and they were chatting to each other saying that it's the first time they've felt like they were British or to be or proud to be british you yeah. know and it was like god my heart was melting i was like hold it back you know yeah. hold yourself together man <laughs> so tell me a bit about tell me a little bit about the tech i mean how was the show run you know what was the actual kind of machinery and the, and the way that because i mean it's you know I, I say for instance it's just on a non-linear playlist you know whatever i mean that's that there's what hours and hours of stuff i mean what was the kind of basic machinery that that, that ran that from an audio point of view from an audio point of view, there's a program that I'd never heard of before because it's a PC program, uh, and I've only ever been Mac. It's called Pyramix. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have, yeah. Is it a theatre um, production? Yeah. yeah, it's a theatre launch kind of program, and you can sync things to it, like lights and that kind of thing, and video, you know, but you can... It's got Mac versions, but apparently this Pyramix is quite solid because it's so basic. Right. You know, it's got a... You can start a tune, uh, a record, 
loop it and then have an end, you know, and that's how we had to program the music as well. Um, just so, so we, if say, for example, yeah. if America took 10 more minutes or six minutes longer to walk around on the athletes parade, then we wouldn't run out of music. Oh God. So you had to have this kind of uh, this, you almost had to have like a kind of fluid length to it. That's so, and uh, you know, because obviously that's, that's not timeable yeah. really, is it? That's that we, we had to have backups for everything, really. So who was dri- who was driving we, that? Who was actually driving that on the night? He was pressing the buttons. Um, a very talented guy called Trevor Beck, who is an Australian, and he's worked for Locog many times. He, uh, I think, he did the not the Beijing one, Greece. He's been he's done Olympic ceremonies before, and he can. He can make calls and uh, change things under extreme pressure and <laughs> yeah. very calm about it. A car, I, I, I don't know how he could be that calm about it, but um, he was—he was actually pressing that magic red button. You know, right. That's mm. incredible. Because I, I had this vision of you all sort of sitting there with kind of copies of Ableton Live and multiple failover systems and just running it all out of that. So it's very interesting to hear otherwise. Was there any other live aspect to, to it or was it all totally Pyramix? Um, that was it. It was, totally, it was totally Pyramix, really. Yeah. The only, the only other live part of it was to be making calls saying to Trevor, change it go into the bells, don't go into the bells or, you know, getting that bit right when Steve Redgrave got the torch and ran around the track and he had to get to light the other athletes, um, torches just as the bells came up. There was Ah. little calls like that that Rick was well involved in just saying to Trevor, look, you know, trigger it now. Otherwise he's going to get there too soon, too late. You know, there was lots of little calls like that. Right. So, I mean, how much of the, you know, the experience, the, the Underworld Live experience, because you guys really have a very tight and uh, well-tested and well-put-together and unique way of running your own shows, could you apply to this? Um, parts of, or ideas, we apply to this. The more like the looping, the starting and the ending of records. That That's mostly what we apply to it. And to be honest, the, the music, just writing, just right. writing in those programs as well, because a lot of the Underworld catalogues, 130, 135, 140, it's pretty pumping, um, as you know, and we had to make like some of the records quite a bit slower. Like, for example, the Athletes Parade, they can't, the Athletes March, they kind of march at about 100 to 115 BPM. That's how they march, and we right. didn't want to be marching <laughs> slower than the music we wanted it to be a bit of a rhythm thing going yeah. you know apart from the chinese and everyone with little small legs they kind of pump a lot <laughs> that, so that's when you could chuck in 130 <laughs> bpm but, uh, everything had to be ableton or put into pitch and time and slowed down so we, that's like we've done 120 bpm versions of dark and long dirty epic lots of to the old underworld tunes yeah so did you actually, were you, did you try and drive the tempo of the march or follow it? Um, a bit of both. Right. For certain people, like we watched the Athletes Parade and those kind of, uh, from Beijing and um, Australia, Sydney. And it was surprising on how different people 
took, uh, how different in time people took, like America and Australia, Canada. They all like to have a stop and get their uh, mobile phones out, call their mum, take a picture. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed it, but um, Rick and Danny came up with a really good idea to get the drummers behind them, to move them on. Don't know, did you notice that on the parade where... I did, I did, I was, I saw some of the, I, I was saw up to where the parade started, then I had to put my daughter to bed because it was just a bit too late for her, and uh, my other yeah. half stayed up and watched that. But right, yeah. well, that, that was an idea of theirs to get it moving, because the athletes parade, the last two or three Olympics, they took two and a half hours and three hours around that time, oh. and this one was done in 90 minutes, and it still seemed long. The 90 minute version, you know, it still seems. Yeah, I must admit, when I was getting to uh, um, Director Rog's uh, speech, I was thinking, yeah, maybe you should cut a few words there. Now I'm not, you know, you see the Queen look at her watch and stuff, and you're just thinking, you know, you know, it, it, it's a it's a long old procession, and all the great stuff, the really great stuff happened at the beginning, and the procession was fantastic for all of the people. But yeah, it's a, it's a very long uh, event to to kind of sit and watch through, and especially if you're, uh, do they do it alphabetically? I can't remember if they did or not. The, they do. So if you're do. with well, uh, Uruguay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, and and like Greece though, Greece were because they always go the first in, so they they went in at whatever time it was. I think it was about ten thirty, eleven o'clock. And they walk around the track and then they stand in the middle. Yeah. And um, they're there for two hours, really. Right. Because then after the athletes parade, then the um, Arctic monkeys come on and then they have to stand there in the speeches. You know, so they're stood in the middle of that stadium for two and a half hours and there's no toilet out there. I felt for the drummers as well. They were going for a good amount of time too, weren't they? I mean, they must have, they, had, they must have had a good workout. All night. All night, you know? Yeah, but they're, they're just... Hats off to all of them, you know. Yeah, I mean the amount of the amount of people. I mean the adrenaline and everything must have been just awesome surrounding that. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's Rick's involvement. He got all those drummers. He taught them, you know, the um, Industrial Revolution piece. That was Rick wrote that, and he taught them. You know, he got Paul Clarvis, who's a very good percussionist, who's worked with us before in films, to score the percussion, and taught all of these drummers to play that. And they did that, and then they did the Athletes Parade, and some of the ones that were dancing as well, they were the drummers as well that were dancing in the Athletes Parade. They were hardcore. They, they, were, they went all night, and the amount of time they gave up yeah. prior to it, it was, it was it rehearsals Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday night, Thursday night, and then the week after it maybe Monday day, Wednesday day. No, none of it was the same, so you had to be quite free with your time to fit in. Yeah. And just the time they gave up and the effort was just immense, you know. Yeah, it was astonishing. Aston- I mean, and, and a great. So, um, um, what what do you think was the sort of the, the the greatest challenge that you guys faced as you're in within your role of this? Greatest challenge? Gosh, I think it was the main, like the athletes' parade. I think was quite simple compared to the rest of it because you had to make records that kind of stopped and started and ended like any record does at a certain BPM. But the most, the hardest part was really what Rick took on was writing the Industrial Revolution piece and Caliban's Dream. He saw it on a mock-up CGI kind of video two, three months, four, five months ago really now. Um, and it looked more like a cartoon, and it was Danny's idea. You know, the cartoon looked like the chimneys were coming up, and the workers would be there. And it wasn't. It wasn't anything like it was on the night. It was just the rough. And Rick wrote that piece of music, or those pieces of music, even when the torch came up and the 
and they all and, and all of the um, separate torches went up into one. You know, he wrote all that looking at a kind of drawing. <laughs> Jesus. And I don't know. I just think that that was the most immense part of the job. I think, and luckily. I was involved mostly in the Athletes Parade. <laughs> oh, so your your role was kind of like trying, just making all of those kind of pieces just work? Because, I mean, how many separate pieces of music were there just in the Athletes Parade? Because, I mean, you had to choose, presumably, all those tracks to kind of to kind of work together. Yeah, and also we had to pick some third-party tunes that kind of represented Britain and chuck the Bee Gees in there as well. You know, the British and, sadly, you know, one of them, another one had just passed and... Adele, who else? We had other people in there, like the Chems in there. We had Oasis in there, but we didn't actually get to play that because it was in the last, um, it was like an hour and 45 minutes in. We had to make three hours worth of music. Jesus. And only an hour and a half was used, just in case it went like the other Olympics. Well, like they went longer than everybody thought, so we didn't have to repeat ourselves. Um, so there's quite a few tunes in there that didn't get played. Yeah, I was looking for uh, I was I was looking for one of mine. I'm a bit disappointed it didn't make it in there actually, <laughs> as, I'm uh, sure, as I'm sure Mark was. <laughs> that, that that was an hour and thirty five in. I'm really sorry. Oh, that's about all right. That. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, just you know, so you've got all the technical challenge of this. I mean, I imagine just the licensing and all that must have been an absolute you know minefield as well. All that all were people just kind of yeah yeah that'd be great. You know, I mean, I imagine a, a lot of it was just. You'd be so- so surprised about licensing. Yeah, a lot of people were, yeah, yeah, great. But some people weren't. Some right. people weren't. And there was a few muck-ups with licensing as well, where people had submitted the wrong list two, three months ago at publishing companies and only got permission to use one minute 20 of Adele, even though <laughs> we wanted to use the full track. Right. And there were certain things like that. There was a bit of a mess on that. But um, you'd be surprised on licensing and all of that you know if it was one of my tracks i'd be straight away yeah no problem use them all yeah Yeah. just use only my tracks please in fact you can have the lot yeah yeah but yeah some people were uh i won't name names but some bands were saying uh well we've got a best of hits coming out and we're not sure if we'd want it to be in the athletes parade and also on an album you know because um, you know uh, oh well i know you you can't help some people can you wouldn't surely you want it to be on the on the parade because people would hear it and go oh i want to buy that it's the biggest promotional uh, stage Ah. they would have got on this year i know Ah. i know it's so shocking that's amazing isn't it i know amazing so you're you're saying you're kind of delivering audio files here and there i mean was that because the whole thing was record you you handled the recording of it and then what you're you're sending stems out or different what's what's happening there Oh, no, and also the, this week has been a bit more busier because the BBC want to use some of it, some of the uh, music for the album on the TV for showing their scoreboards and stuff like this. So there's been some extra work come out, which is good. It's good for us because it's more exposure, yeah. more play, you know. So it's just a bit of extra work. So it's not, you know, it's not a negative thing. It's quite a positive thing. But it's when we expected to have Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday sitting on the sofa watching women's weightlifting um <laughs> and why ever not? not i'm going into the park again getting mirrors shined in every orifice of my car and uh search left right and center in and out you know coming out of there today they emptied my car and was searching it's bizarre the security level of it um but yeah but just delivering the files delivering it all to local final finished 
you know, right. all the file, gathering it all, making sure everything was in place and there and backed up and then backed up again and yeah. backed up again. I know, I can imagine. So um, when you're, what, uh, the other thing that was uh, really mind-blowing is, you know, the lighting system was amazing and the sound system, because I know you guys are very particular about, you know, you, you do you still use the Function 1 stuff for your live stuff? You've got a kind of specific... We do, yeah. What would you know, did you have any kind of input into the design of the actual sound system and how that went together? Not really designed for the sound system, but when we first went in and played some tunes on it, it wasn't sounding the best. It was still amazing. It was good, but we'd heard sound systems that sounded better in stadiums. So we got the um, uh, one and only John Newsham from Function One down, and he gave it a fine tweak, and um, it sounded a lot better. So you no, did he get... did have, yeah, it had no Function One hardware in there, but he gave it a little bit of uh, his magic touch. Because I did get the sensation that being there was really vibey uh, i mean as it would be but you know usually in these kind of situations they err on the on the uh, on the side of health and safety but it sounded like they were really kicking it out there which was nice to hear they were yeah and there were certain things that didn't come across on the tv as they did there but you know if only they could have 20 or 30 days of they could sell that ceremony you know and everybody comes in and sees it it'd be amazing but just stuff like uh for example, the Mary Poppins bit, you know, they came from the roof of the stadium. Yeah. Uh, right off the top of the roof, they, they did. And you didn't really get that on the TV. You kind of got it when they were in the air. So they could have just been suspended. And it was a lot more jaw dropping if you kind of looked up and you just saw these people coming from the top of the stadium. I imagine is- it was pretty jaw dropping if you were one of the Mary Poppins and you were standing on the edge thinking, do I go now? What? The, you know, that, that moment, you know, going over the edge, as it were, must have been absolutely yeah. exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Watching all those people and I can't yeah, do it. Land, land him. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> want to. You make make good Mary Poppins. You would. I think I'd make a better child catcher myself. <laughs> Vol- Voldemort. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What was the kind of thing like after? Because I mean, it finished quite late. I mean, was everybody just kind of dashing off? Because obviously, the athletes probably got to go and get some kip. Or what. Was there a kind of big party afterwards, or was it sort of you know straight to work? There to was. Clear, there, there was. Uh, Gone. Sorry. They had to clear it all out, presumably, did they? Yep. By uh, we went back uh, in the morning because we had a tour bus there, so we slept, and I think I got up around. 1.30 and went and stuck my head in there and all of the tree and the mound had gone. Half of the stage had gone from the middle, you know, where the chimneys and the grass and all that was. That was all taken down. You could see running track. So they, as soon as it had finished, they were in there working, getting the track back. And, get, you know, I think by Sunday, the stadium would have probably been ready for racing. Um, so they were working constantly through the night. After the show... Cool. We'll go get him again. Now, you just hold it. Uh, so, uh, at the moment, we're talking to Darren Price. If you're listening live, which uh, I, I hope you are, because uh, yeah, we got uh, it's a great, a great privilege to be able to talk to him. Uh, we got you back there, Darren. Yes, I'm e- back. Excellent. So, if you could, if you could see, I, I, you can't still see my video, can you? Because I take you outside and see you see where I am. Ah, so, well, I, I can I can only see your icon, so your video just doesn't seem to be there. I'm just hope I would. Really and it like says accept to... video, and I've accepted the video. Um... Yeah, have you got a little um, video camera on the top right of your window? If you roll up, it should no, show up. I, I've got a video camera with a line through it. Hold on a minute. Hey, hold on, you enabled it then. 
Yeah, it just goes automatically off again. Hold on. Uh, oh. Latest Skype. I'll tell you what, let me make you really small. Sorry, people, just bear with me. That's all right. Uh, right, I've tried it small screen. Oh. Can you see me now? Yeah, yeah, something's happening. Might be just yeah. two. Yeah, there's, there's an icon. There's an see, icon I there. There's a spinny wheel. This okay. is thrilling. I'm, I'm, st I'm starting to relive the, uh, the, the thrill of the... <laughs> little... Yay! There we go. There's Darren. Now. Hey! I'll, tell you, I'll show you where I am, and it will, uh, it will make a lot of sense. Right, can you see behind me? Yeah. All oh, right. You're in a field. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I'm, I'm in a field. So hence the internet <laughs> connection. Really bad. Deep, deep Essex countryside. So that's why it's really bad. And uh, the, the, I've made you a really small screen. I had it full screen. I think uh, maybe the, the video card was just no having a bit of a hard time. Yeah. Computer says no. Yeah. Anyway. Um, party, low cog. They laid on a bit of a um, tent afterwards. So we, we went into there, had a few drinks. There was champagne on the go. And we stayed there for a couple of hours and then went back to our tour bus and had a few beers and then went to bed. Everyone was really exhausted, really. Yeah, know, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. After that night. So were you involved? I mean, I'm guessing it must have been actually quite liberating not to have had to deal with the technology on the night and not, you know, because usually you would have like, what, a couple of systems running in tandem that you could switch between. Did you get any yeah. sense of how, how much bootstrapping they had at their end? Because I, I would imagine, you know, I want like 10 stages of failover for something like that because the, the thought of it not working is just, you know, unthinkable, mm -hmm. isn't it, right? Yeah, um, there was three pyramid system chained systems chained. So if one went down, there was two more to go, and if another one went down, there was one more. And if all three went down, you would have got a backup CD that I made on Friday morning, kind of thing. That was it. <laughs> and then it was the iPod after that, was it? Yeah. Honestly, it was. I made a backup CD on Friday morning with you know probably. A few hours to go. I think I had to hand it in by midday or something. Wow. And that was if all systems went down. A big emergency, and then we'd just play this CD. Wow. Mm. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, touch so, wood. So I presume, yeah. I mean, the front of house mix must have been an absolute you know, headache. I mean, there must have been more than one guy dealing with that, right? Yeah, yeah. And certain people wanted to deal with their own, like the Arctics wanted to do, do their own, and so did Paul McCartney. Um, everybody had a backup. Right. Everybody performing that night went into Abbey Road and did a backup track, backup record. So if anything went down, they just switched to their recording. Ah, so you'd be like like old old top of the pops, old school type. Yeah. That, that even, even like the um, the kids choirs, you know, the deaf um, chaos choir, the deaf kids choir. Uh, we even got them in Abbey Road, and they recorded the. Um, national anthem, and as backup, so it started in a, at a, with a click, and um, right, so at the same time a, as they. Started. God, that's very interesting. Yeah, hmm. and I mean, I must admit, yeah, the, the, did the, the, they did a great job of the TV mix. I mean, the bands all sounded really good. You know, it was kind of high quality. Usually, you expect it to be a bit ropey and something like that because you can imagine, but so uh, it was very nicely uh, put together sonically. You know, it did. It, was there? And were you involved in the overseeing of the kind of final output, so you could kind of make sure that it had a quality, or was that down to the individual broadcasters? No, no, there was a a 
one big fat cable that went out to TV land or to TV village out the back of the stadium with all the trucks all lined up. So there was one, you know, one output from the stadium. And then the TV people could do what they wanted with it. You know, they, some, we've watched it in various territories. You know, we've watched it um, obviously on BBC iPlayer, but with NBC, we've watched the Spanish one. And they've all, all a bit mixed, you know, some of the commentators. Does it, can I ask a question about, <laughs> while you're getting him back about Paul McCartney? Why is everybody saying his performance is so bad? Because it didn't sound really any worse than the Beatles have ever sounded to me. Well, he obviously can't get the high notes so much anymore, but that's fair enough. I mean, it wasn't. It, was just, it sounded the, fine the to me. Yeah, but at the I mean, beginning. I just think we so over auto tune everything that we've forgotten what people who <laughs> just sing without it sound like, haven't we? Yeah, well, that's possibly true. Have we got you back, Darren? I don't know if we've... Uh... I mean, I can't imagine the kind of pressure that you, that you were all under as a whole team. Who do you think, I mean, in terms of, you know, the whole crew, because you've got the lights, you've got the stage management, you've got all of those, in all the individual aspects, what was the sort of highest, sort of the most tightly wound situation, do you think? Oh, I think it was, oh, it was Danny's, the, 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 under the most pressure was definitely Danny Boyle's team. Right. But they fine-tuned it so much that, you know, run-throughs, rehearsals, different variations of things, run-throughs of stuff if everything went wrong. They had every, every way covered, covered. And Danny Boyle is so relaxed, you know. He's, you know, there's me, Rick, there's, there's most of the Underworld team, all, all, all the lighting team. You could see the nerves in us all. On it, just on the Wednesday, that was just a rehearsal. But on the Friday, you know, and hands shaking, you know, half an hour before going live, you know, absolutely crapping it. And Danny's just there, like he's just at the park, just relaxed and having a natter, and it's fine. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, you know. I bumped into him on the Monday. I said, "Oh, that was great, wasn't it?" On Friday, he's gone. Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? Bloody hell! Well, everybody. I mean, one of the quotes Man. that we got out of it was. Well, look, if this guy can organise the shooting and direction of Slumdog Millionaire, then this is kind of a walk in the park. I mean, I don't know whether that's true, but, you know, I, I imagine that was a little bit of a safe pair of hands it was considered, though, definitely. Amazing. What's, what's your kind of biggest, what's the, what's the sort of magic moment for you? What was the kind of the thing that made, that really, really did it for you, do you think, on the night? Part of the show on the night was probably Industrial Revolution, because I knew what was coming. And everybody's, you know, everybody's looking at the kind of fields and the sheep. And I remember there was some press people there. And this was on Wednesday as well. And they were going, what's all this about? You know, this is pretty rubbish. And 10 minutes later, they're just, their jaws are on the floor going, oh, my God, what's going on? You know, and it's just so, you know, it's just too much for anybody's mind to take in. And I think it was Industrial Revolution. That's the part of the show that probably got me the most because I know how much work's gone into it and how hard it was to pull off and and then on a personal level you know I've had my three kids there and my 10 year old son's sort of turned around and gone dad this is the best day of my life you know and oh, that was wow. like oh yeah that's pretty hard to beat that's isn't what it? it's all about yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so oh yeah it's a mixture really on the night it's you know industrial revolution also the lighting of the torch and and, and just it all working out, because I'd seen it go wrong a few times, timing-wise. Not, not the way it goes, but just the timing, you know? People running too fast or not running fast enough or walking fast enough. 
Yeah, no, and I can imagine. Seeing it all come together as it was planned was the main thing, you know? Yeah, Still yeah. had tears in my eyes the next day, thinking about it, reading the papers. Yeah, well, it was brilliant. What was brilliant was it was, you know... tie and ball the newspaper. Oh, I think we just lost him again. Ah. Ah, this is fascinating stuff, though. I'm just going to... Uh, We'll, sit, we'll wait for him to come back. I just want to say, you know, uh, once again, if you're listening live, uh, it's Darren Price from Underworld we're talking to. We had a little bit of video uh, and uh, we're just sort of struggling with a bit of Skype um, bandwidth, um, but really uh, fantastic to have him on to talk. Any, is there anything I should ask him, Dave, that I haven't asked? No, Chris just said he's probably gone off to have a little bit of a blub. You think? <laughs> well, we, were sounded, texting, no. we were texting each other on Friday. I was going, oh, no, I'm gonna, I'm go- I know I'm going to get choked up. I know. So, yeah. I, I want you to ask him something. Yeah. I noticed that a lot of those actors had in-ear monitors. So that in-ear monitoring system, to I, what they, I want to know what they were getting in their ears and how they coordinated that. I wonder if it was probably stage direction. I don't know. Are you there, Darren? And we've got you back? Yeah. I'm, I'm back, but still really bad line. Sorry, I just put some more diesel in the internet connection. <laughs> well, yeah, Mark, Mark, was ju- Mark was just asking, um, a lot of the actors had in-ears, right? Do you know what it was they were hearing? Okay, I think I got that. It was about in-ears, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, hopefully you can hear me all right, because I can't really hear you that well. Sorry about this, but I'm right in the countryside. I'm not in London. Yes, I can um, hear you. In-ears, they had... Yeah, the in-ears had a click track. They had a click track for the drummers in Industrial Revolution, so that was just keeping them all in time. They didn't have direction. They didn't have a direction of, like, hit it now, play now. They'd learnt it all. So most of it was learnt. All they had was a click track to keep them all in time so they didn't drift. Um, wow. And then later on in their in-ears, they, uh, when the athletes parade when they were dancing, you know, there was probably a thousand of them on the stage with the athletes and they'd be standing still. And then say, for example, when the Bee Gees was playing, they'd be still for a minute and then all of a sudden they'd all start dancing. Then they were called to dance. It was called like star shape or... Ah, uh, okay. So it's Saturday. like stage management as well. Yeah, Direct. so it was like Saturday night fever pose after four. Four, three, two, one, and then they'd all go into Saturday Night Fever, you know, and it was just looked spectacular because there were so many of them that got it bang on the dot. Um, but most of the time, it was just a click track, just going in time with any bit of audio that was playing. Oh, that's interesting. Of course, I mean, and that makes perfect sense for keeping that many people in. Do you know how many channels of ears they were running? They must have had, like, the, 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 the almost the entire UK supply of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Of, of higher stuff. I mean, I can't imagine. Well, these ones, you know, like uh, these these in ears, because I, I looked into them. They were really cheap. They, I think, each set was about seven or eight quid each. And normally, in ears, you know, for us live, they're hundreds, if not going into the thousands. You know, um, but these were really cheap, and they had so many different um, frequencies you could tune them to, and just Ooh. one massive great big rack mount that you could control them all by oh that sounds uh, interesting like i know about those they sound very useful me too yeah and yeah. they look like kids walk talkies they look like plastic kids walkie talkies you know wow they weren't high tech at all oh that's interesting i suppose it would have to. i mean can't imagine what it must be like trying to keep track of seven thousand in-ear monitor systems <laughs> <laughs> no i think i've lost you again yeah, uh, that's all. I can still hear you. We can still hear you. 
I'll just type. I'll type. Um, I think I've I, lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we can. Yes. Well, um, Darren, I, I, I don't know. Oh, oh, no, we lost him now. He's gone. Uh, and I don't want... A, somebody keeps calling me. <laughs> but I'm already talking to you all, which is bizarre. Uh, have we still got Darren? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. So the internet traffic, I, I'm guessing because we're ending up, we're, we're in the uh, sort of after work kind of phase. Everybody's uh, in their cars using up the cells uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, calling home and, and checking their emails on the way home and the, on public transport and stuff. But Darren, and what, what's next for you then? You get a, Hopefully you get a holiday, right? Got a holiday in about a week or so. I'm going away for two weeks, my wife and kids. But just prior to that, uh, this end of this week and next week, I'm running through the live set with Carl. Rick's going on holiday straight away, but me and Carl are doing a bit of live rehearsal because we have gigs starting up in September. Ah, right. Oh, well, the, I, I did come and Dave um, brought me along to your Brixton. I think we met briefly at Brixton. That's right. And uh, I just, the one thing that really made me smile above all else was the few bars of Born Slippy that came in on that because it really reminded me of the night uh, when I saw that and the, the kind of amazingly overwhelming feeling that that kind of seems to generate amongst, you know, an entire generation of people. I mean, that must have been a pretty warm moment, although, uh, you know, I'd imagine you had a lot of other stuff on your mind anyway. But that was great for me. Yeah. Now, that, that is a good one to play. And it always sends tingles up our spines, even 20 odd years after, you know, it's been being played every gig 20 odd years after the first play. And I think we'd get booed off if we didn't play it, but um, it still sends tingles up us. Yeah, and I think what was so lovely about that because obviously that was that one of the first involvements that the band had had with Danny Boyle as well on, on that film. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the truth is that record was released eighteen months before that film, and it only sold fourteen hundred copies on <laughs> Junior Boy's own. And luckily, one of those fourteen hundred people was Danny Boyle, who bought it, and um, he spotted it in the film. And it was temporary at the time, and they shifted it around and found that part, um, kept it in there, licensed it, and then two years later, after its first release, it was at number one and selling whatever it was, five, six, seven million, and then another load more, and then more and more. It was absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, that was the first involvement with Danny, and that was just due to him buying that record. Yeah, so it's kind of nice to hear it in there, you know, just that kind of one little snippet. Obviously, had quite a lot of... It was very loaded, and I, th- oh, I thought yeah. it... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Darren Price, um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, underworldlive.com is where I've got people pointed at. Just, uh, I don't know if you can see the video. I hope that's all right for you. Um, but if there's anywhere else you want people to look, just, just speak now. No, Underworld Live is the place to be. Also, if they want to buy the... Um the music from from uh, Friday evening, Isles of Wonder and the Athletes Parade. It's a two CD disc and it's doing really well at the moment on iTunes. It was number one in quite a few countries. Oh, sweet. Um, so you can buy it online and I think hard copies of it are going to be in the shops from this weekend onwards. So I know Underworld Live's the place to be. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us because I know you must be incredibly busy. Um, it's so. an absolute pleasure. I had to get to the studio. My laptop died <laughs> a few, few days ago and I had to just, this is a new laptop that I had opened. I had to install Skype and remember <laughs> everything. Well, it's, it's, a, a, it's a testament to your tech savvy that it just worked right out of the box there. So, you know. <laughs> Good. Now, it's a pleasure talking to you all.
Thank you very much. Uh, right. that, great. Thank you. And uh, also, Thanks, Darren. That's all right, Dave. Thank you, Dave Spears, uh, GeForce Software as well. And uh, get the lower third up for Dave there. DS is the one we want. Yeah, ah, there we go. Right. Dave Spears, G4 Software, thank you very much for joining us. And also, Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, uh, it's It's been one of those uh, wonderful shows. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. And I'm going to sign off and try and um, sort out my own little technical uh, hiccup that I had during this show. Unfortunately, I didn't have three pyramid systems, uh, <laughs> pyramid systems backing me up, but I think it's redeemable. So thank you very much, everybody. Uh, that was... Got- sorry, Karen. Sorry. We've got three for sale now. Oh, uh, really? What do they What do they comprise of? Out of interest, <laughs> they're only cheap. What, do, really what are they? Cheap. Like a PC and a sound card, or an interface card? That's or something. what it is. Yeah, yeah. PC, sound card, and some just unleaded petrol. That's all you need. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll have to look into that, and maybe it can run the show far more efficiently than I can. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. That was Sonic Pleasure. Talk number two hundred and seventy-seven. Uh, it's a wrap. Nice one. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Darren. Thanks loads. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, man.